My name is Rick Castellini. I used to be a spy. My name is Chris Cherry. I used to be the co-host of the only Burn Notice podcast. And this is Burn Noticed, a weekly, a weekly, a weekly rewatch of the USA Television masterpiece Burn Notice about Michael Weston, a spy. What's great about us is that we're professionals. <laughs> I've always we, said that. That's really that's what people listen to this for, not you know for anything else. It's because we're such professionals. We know how to say the word weekly. Mm-hmm. We say it weekly. Well, weekly rewatch is like kind of a tongue twister. You wrote it. I know, but I write things for my head, not for my mouth. This is very true. (laughs) You had to say dialogue of mine out loud before. You know this to be true. I have done it. I have watched other people do it. Uh, It's always bad. It's always a disaster. So how how do we rate the episodes, Chris? Oh, oh yeah. Um, Throughout this podcast, we will be rating each episode on whether it is an episode of television, a great episode of television, or a great episode of Burn Notice. Professional. Professional. If you want to know what complicated calculations go into these ratings, listen to our intro episode, or wait until the end, where we will explain them again. Also, if you or anyone you know knows Jeffrey Donovan, or another Burn Notice podcast, please get in touch. You can send us questions, suggestions, compliments, and absolutely no criticism of any kind. You can send that to burnnoticepodcast at gmail.com, or to our Twitter, at burnnoticedpod. That's burnnoticed, with a D. Even though, incidentally, this podcast only has one D on it. Hey. Hey. Uh. I don't know how much of this is getting cut out. Probably all of it. Here's hoping. So there's an elephant in the room, uh, a Sam Axe in the room, if you will, that we uh, perhaps need to address. Which elephant? Uh, You know what? I kind of want you to take the lead on this, and then I'm going to sit back and see where my energy can be best spent. I think maybe, given my recent behavior on Twitter, not just this week, but many weeks ago, uh, it's better if you take the lead here. I mean... There's not much else to say. There is another Burn Notice podcast, the second one. Mm-hmm. Um, and that is important. It is the second one. They yeah, it launched is. in October. Exactly. And we're fine with that. <laughs> I have no we're problem with, with that. Um, uh-huh. There's lots of podcasts about F- – there are so many podcasts. Honest to God, I was surprised that we were the first Burn Notice podcast. Because it's, it's not hard to make a podcast. It's so easy. You know, <laughs> I found this microphone I... <laughs> on the street. I wrenched it away from a homeless man to said, it's mine now. <laughs> and he was like, no, no, please. That's for my white collar podcast. Perfect. Yes, there's another Burn Notice podcast. But you have to deal with me. <laughs> So, uh, in the well, scheme of things, nothing matters. In the scheme of things, who's really the loser here? Exactly. Um, it's me. I am the victim here. I am the one hurt most by this. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, quick programming note. Um, I already mentioned it on Twitter, and since I did that, everyone knows what I put on Twitter is a contract between me and you. Uh, we are going mm-hmm. on a short hiatus at the end of season two, which will be next week. Next week is the season two finale of both Burn Notice and Burn Noticed with a D. And uh, so we're going to take a little bit of a break because 
podcasting is a lot of work. <laughs> and um, for the record, this was to... the other elephant. In case you were wondering <laughs> what the second elephant was. <laughs> We're, we're taking a quick hiatus. Um, it'll probably be no more than a month or two, but I just wanted to give you guys a heads up that that is happening because, uh, If it you know. winds up being less, it's because Brie is incensed. <laughs> I did, I did, I will admit to texting Chris earlier, what if instead of going on hiatus, we didn't go on hiatus? And I did mean it. Um, but also, we're going on hiatus largely for me <laughs> because I need a break. So, you know, we'll see how much I care about my own well-being um, and if it will uh, outweigh my absolute fury at being attempted to being usurped as the only Burn Notice podcast on the Internet. So just a heads up for that. Uh, as always, if you have fun ideas for bonus episodes, things that we can do that are a little bit less uh like complicated In to do <laughs> less intensive than watching an episode of television <laughs> yeah exactly because i'm very important and i'm so tired so uh yeah if you guys have fun episode <gasps> ideas for bonus really episodes like things to do in between <laughs> uh, that should you be your twitter bio Um, no, I'm too, I, my Twitter bio is already like fucking at its limit. Like I, I have like maybe two characters of wiggle room right now. It's crazy. I don't, I, what, my, honestly, my ultimate like fantasy, like fame fantasy. Cause you know how like there's different kinds of fame, especially these days. Uh, my yeah. ideal fame, like level of fame is that my Twitter bio doesn't have to be descriptive. Like I want to be so famous that I can be one of those assholes. That's like just another person living her life. And like, that's my Twitter bio. And that's all it needs to be. I want to be so famous that my Twitter bio does not have to like perfectly collate all of the other Twitter accounts that I am a part of and like put my job title and all of that stuff. I just want to be vague because everyone already knows. See, that's me. That's how I live my life already. Yeah, you're living in like year three thousand. Like, dress for the job you want. Exactly. Write the Twitter bio for the life you want. Although I recently did relent and and add put, bird notice to your bio and add bird notice today. to my bio. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone must know. What I must know is what episode are we doing this week? Well, we are doing season two, episode 15, which was called Sins of Omission and aired February 26th, 2009, and was written by Craig O'Neill and Jason Tracy of Wanted Man fame and was directed by Denny Gordon, a woman person who goes on to direct a number of other Burn Notice episodes and also directed episodes of White Collar. Um, <laughs> keep an eye out for our White Collar podcast coming soon, I'm sure. Uh, 30 Rock, The Office, Jack Ryan, Madam Secretary, and basically just like a bunch of random TV shows across pretty much every genre. So good for you, Denny. Um, and also, more interestingly than that, is that the director of this episode also goes on to guest star in a 2010 episode of Burn Notice, um, and her title is Female Se Senator. So... 
Denny Delightful. Gordon, director of this episode, becomes female senator later on. She directs Fucking a few episodes. Career goals. Yeah, she directs quite a few episodes. Over Which the is good. Of I love the direction of this episode. I did too. There were a lot of like the the one shot, the type of shot that I kept seeing was uh, it would start as like sort of standard coverage of someone, and then the camera would move and kind of like rotate around the people in the shot to become a yeah. different shot as like something changed in the scene, and that was really nice. Yeah, there was a lot of that. There's a lot of really good frames. I think on Twitter, you posted that really great frame of Michael with the yogurt. Uh, oh no, I just tweet. I just texted that to you because. Oh that's no, you just texted be... that to me. Sorry. Yeah, yeah I just texted. <laughs> I texted Chris the screenshot for the episode that's going to be the promo image for this episode because uh, it is delightful. But also, it's it over the course of the next two weeks, you will hear us talk about a moment about several moments where Michael Weston has to smile allegedly in genuine happiness, and it doesn't seem like he's ever done that before. <laughs> Positive emotions are new to him. <laughs> um, and anyways, if you want to know more about what this episode is about, keep listening. I but do. first listen to the IMDb description of the episode, which reads... That'll give me information. It will. It sure will. Um, Michael's ex-fiance asks for help after a black market dealer kidnaps her son to force her to stealing a tracking chip for him that's kind of, there's like no commas in that sentence imdb writer what are you doing sometimes i wonder if we should get descriptions from different sources but i like that we do the imdb ones yeah. because sometimes I mean, they're flawed it's true and and that gives us content to discuss i will exactly. also say no the only one reason got we started- paid for writing this I don't, I don't actually know if you know this, but the reason that I introduced the IMDb description to the beginning of our episodes, because uh, it wasn't a part of the original like thing that we did. It, we, it came in around no, like, I know. episode three or four. You know, yeah, it's because I was, sometimes Tony no. would be confused and I wanted to make sure Tony understood what was happening. <laughs> oh, that's very good. I wanted a better rating on Burn Notice Noticed. <laughs> we can talk about it now because it's over. <laughs> it's yeah, now been anymore. enough time. The um, to acknowledge the fact that our podcast has been lifted (laughs) is so good that there was another podcast about our podcast, and that's the only burn notice podcast that you can say that about. That's true, it is. Although this is rapidly becoming (laughs) an after show to a different burn notice podcast, so uh, with all that said, and, and in an attempt to avoid becoming that. Let's get into the weeds. Hey, real quick, before we get into the weeds. No, I Chris, want... I'm already here. I'm in the weeds. Okay, but before I step into the weeds. Okay. I'm going to pose I'll a question to you. I'll keep warm for you. Um, and this time I'm going to pose it at the beginning, before we go into the weeds, so we can like think about it and keep it in the back of our minds. Okay. That's fine. Would this episode have been better with Lucy Lawless? Uh, I'm go- yes. I go back and forth. I well yeah let's let's keep it in mind. I mean I'm inclined to say yes just because like the tiny bit of backstory we got for her was so much more fun than backstory with most villains in this show. But yeah we'll see we'll see. We'll and keep I mean it in mind. specifically in the Sam ex fiance role. Oh okay so not not Victor. No yeah not Victor. Although, wouldn't it have been cool if the person who had been, like, bombing him and, like, fucking up Carla's plans was Lucy Lawless? Uh, maybe, yeah. I kind of, not, we'll talk about next week, next week. 
Well, Victor's in this episode too. We know we know about Victor. No, I know, but like, um, like I don't. For reasons of next week, I don't think that should have been Lucy Lawless. But I think this would have been, this could have been a fun, now they have to work with Lucy Lawless episode. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, I, but, can, I can see that. Because honestly, like, the ex-fiance, as a plot point, goes nowhere, comes from doesn't. nowhere. And seems to serve no purpose, emotional or otherwise, in, like, the development of either the plot or the characters. I mean, it does a little bit. It's another little stepping stone in Fee and Michael. But it's not. Like, it. nothing new happens. They learn not really. nothing new. Like, I it's mean, just... It's an excuse for Michael to make a little speech about how the only person he's ever really loved is Fiona. And it's like... Yeah, honestly, it's not a lot. I kind of feel like that's less um, impressive. And I will get to that. This might be finally the episode where I talk about Outlander. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's go. Okay, this fine. is definitely Here the best bird notice episode Look at on the episode. <laughs> stepping into the weeds, they nice. they tickle my knees. For oh, I am yes, wearing come shorts. In. It's nice and warm. I've kept it warm for you. Splash around a little bit. What do you think weeds are? Really feel it. I'm thinking of like like you know how in like the morning and there's dew and like everything is kind of a little bit damp. That's how I like to imagine the weeds. You imagine the weeds are moist. <laughs> oh, yeah, absolutely. It is soaked down here, especially when you get really close to the soil. God. Which I do. So how does this episode start? <laughs> is this the energy you were worried about, Chris? <laughs> no, this is normal energy. <laughs> That's really depressing. If anything, I'm happy with this energy because this is... Unexpected energy. Sure. This energy is, again, not to talk about next week, but this energy is the lesser evil. <laughs> oh, man. That sucks. Uh, okay. So the episode begins with Michael speaking directly to camera as if he's in a narrative vlog of some kind, giving us essentially the previously on Burn Notice segment. And then the camera pulls out, and it's actually him talking in a like psychotic presenter's voice to Carla, finally letting her in on the fact that like Victor's the one that bombed them and blah, blah, blah. Um, I love that. I Do kn- you love that? I thought it was crazy. <laughs> I know. Like, I, this is I love like it. a human. <laughs> I thought it was a super fun choice. And again, and it's- I just, I just didn't buy it that that was a tone of voice that made sense for a human being. I mean, it's fine. I don't care about that. Like, <laughs> You liked that it was sort of teasingly meta? Yeah, I did. I enjoyed that it was teasingly meta. And it's a nice signal that we're going to have fun this week. <laughs> you know? I, I will always, always be pro this show trying new things. And messing That's around. Fair. And having fun. And I got real excited when it started with direct address. And then I understand that what's happening when he's talking to the camera, he still is kind of talking to the camera in that scene. Right. And so, like, he stops talking in that crazy way once the camera moves. Mm-hmm. 
and then he kind of talks normal because like that scene See, is I like, definitely I like ha- my teasingly meta moments to be a little bit better integrated into the reality of the world. I find it more pleasing if they find a clever way to do it rather than like a full ham-fisted, hey, look what we're doing. The fourth wall is fucked kind of moment. You know, I want it to be more subtle. But then again, we are doing a podcast about burn notice and maybe I need to lower my expectations a little bit. That's true. <laughs> But I also like it. I think it's a fun writing and directing choice. Uh, Yeah, I mean, it was fun. I just like, as soon as the reveal happened, because like I wasn't really expecting this to be the cold open, I was like, wait, is that how he's been talking to Carla for the past 10 minutes? Like, is this the tone of voice he's been using? That's crazy. I mean, this is Michael Weston. That's true. He's our sassy little boy. He's our Uh, sassy little boy. Our sassy little boy finishes his story, and Carla doesn't fully believe him, but agrees uh, that maybe if once she checks out his story, she'll get her goon squad to like back off so that Michael can try to draw out Victor, um, who at the moment, at the time that I was taking notes, I could not remember the name of. I did not remember his name was Victor at all. And honestly, when I look at him, I don't see Victor. It's nothing. He should be probably Todd. Um, maybe Todd to the return of Todd, but like, he does not yeah. look like a Victor. Victor looks like the guy who was his like Russian friend and comrades. That's actually, that guy's name might've been Victor. It probably was Victor. Bree is looking it up. I'm looking. Oh no. His name was Ivan. Fair enough. Uh, yeah. Still. There's a, there's a V and an I in there. Yeah. So you get. Exactly. I don't know. This motherfucker does not look like a Victor, but he's the bomber and Carla theoretically knows, although she's checking up on the story. And so we move on. Uh, so Michael eating a yogurt is talking to Fiona about this uh, in the next scene. Um, and he asked Fiona to go show Victor's photo around at places that Victor might be hiding out. And Fiona, while also eating a yogurt, says that she'll tell people he's running a dog fighting ring to encourage their snitching. So... That's some interesting methodology that was not told in a spy tip, and I appreciated it. Yeah. Uh, then <laughs> Sam and Madeline then enter the loft together, and Madeline is mad because apparently Sam was just sent to fetch her at a moment's notice from her home, and Michael, through gritted teeth and a pained grin, explains he's been trying to get some things in order because a bad guy's out to get him, and Madeline needs to stay with him for a bit. Um, why Michael can't stay with his mom so that they both have actual beds is unclear, and then he hears a sound and stops eating his yogurt. Perhaps the idea is that because he can't be with his mom all the time. He's busy. And also she's Madeline. So the idea is that if she's staying at his place, no one knows where Michael's apartment is. Michael's apartment exists. Except for every single bad guy ever. Like the bomber that he's nervous about. Like Carla, the bad guy black ops woman that he's nervous about. Like the woman at his door literally right now. Everyone fucking knows where Michael Weston lives. That's very true. <laughs> like every single person that he is theoretically worried about Madeline running into already knows where he lives. And has already tried to kill him there at least once each. That Actually, you're right. Yeah. And it's a less populated area because he's like in a warehouse above a bar that we haven't seen open for, you know, episodes and episodes. There are a lot more entry points. There are no neighbors to go stay with. And also, there's only one bed, which has not been resolved. (laughs) 
Although I did notice that he finally has a bed frame now. Um, Cause I was going to make a comment about how he's going to make his poor, like 60 year old mother sleep on the fucking floor on a mattress. But he does actually have like a box spring. And if not like a full bed frame, like so it's, it's off the ground now she's sleeping in an actual bed, which I will give him props for. He's well, like he's had sex with fee multiple times. So she probably said something. I'm sure she did because that's he is a like 35 year old man or older with a mattress on a floor in the middle of a like warehouse. That is unacceptable. I don't care how long you think you're staying in Miami for. Get a fucking bed. And Here's he did. You gotta so understand, it's all good. When you're a spy, <laughs> sometimes monsters are hiding under your bed. yeah well i'm glad that we've worked that out so anyways there was that sound right the the sound that i told you about that everyone hears and michael has to stop eating his yogurt to listen to uh so everyone pulls a gun uh michael pulls one out of the freezer which is a detail that i really liked and then madeline who is like has stayed behind in the kitchen area as our you know spy gang like kind of gets to the door all holding guns. Madeline pulls a knife out of his knife block, which I also really love. She's like, I don't know what's happening, but I want to be armed. And I appreciate that impulse in her. Can I say really quickly, uh, I get your problem with the implausibility of why Madeline is staying there, but I don't care. <laughs> because, like, Madeline is staying at the apartment. That's great. That's a good concept. I just... Again, just a little bit more thought. Like, as with most burn notice plots that irritate me, they're, like, really close to being good, or they were done for a good reason, but the execution is fucking dog shit. It, see, it doesn't bother me. It got, like, I bought it in the moment. I was in a weird mood while I was recapping this episode, so, like, I'm going to give you that preface, I guess, right now. I will say really quickly, I really like this episode. That's good to know. I don't know if I do. I liked a lot of moments in it, but I was, <laughs> I, I, got, I don't know, I guess I was in a mood when I was recapping it, because I've got some feelings about it that I guess we'll get into. Um, but right. yes, no, I like that Madeline is there. I like that what happens as a result of her being there, for the most part. Um, and I do really like that she, like, pulls a knife. <laughs> I don't know what she's going to do with it, but she's got one now, and I really appreciate that. I think so. she's going to stab. <laughs> Well, I guess we'll see. So uh, Michael opens the door, and it's not Victor or Carla or anyone else bad. It's Sam. Uh, what? Yep, actually, it's a woman named Sam, uh, a.k.a. Samantha, a.k.a. Michael's ex-fiance, who is at the door, and Michael is shook. He is. Um, he is shook. Uh, post, so that's the cold open. Cold open ends with Samantha at the door. So post cold open, Michael and Samantha go outside to talk while an uncomfortable trio of Sam, Fiona, and Madeline sit and wait. Sam tries to bake, break the tension with a joke about like, oh, huh, there's another Sam. Oh, what are we going to do? And Madeline, irritated and smoking, is like, have you ever been secretly engaged to my son? And Sam's like, no. Madeline's like, well, then I'm relatively certain we're going to keep you apart. <laughs> Damn, Madeline. Tell, like, tell you apart. <laughs> yeah, whatever. Not like in a sense of like they're gonna fight or something. <laughs> yeah, we're not physically keeping the Sams apart. In yeah. fact, they're kind of working together for a lot of this episode. Exactly. Um, but Which yeah, is Madeline fine. is like extremely irritated. I wish you wouldn't, but I'll allow it. Okay, I am by nature 
a very private person. And this is something that I do, in fact, have in common with Michael Weston. It is the single thing that I have in common with Michael Weston. Obviously, not telling people about this isn't, like, the nicest thing ever. But aren't they overreacting a little? Oh, yeah, for sure. Like, and I... I Everyone is acting like this is a major affront. That he didn't yeah, mention like, that like he got engaged. It's like a betrayal of trust. Years ago. Mm-hmm. Apparently, even before he knew Fiona, which was a like quite a while ago too. Um, yeah, no, no. It seems yeah, like, like she is upset that he didn't mention that in the past he was engaged. Which, like, yeah, which is a crazy thing. And, and so is Madeline. Madeline is also very upset about this in a way that seems. Slightly unreasonable. It feels manufactured for yeah, a plot no. that goes nowhere and comes from nowhere. Yeah. See, and and honestly, I think that's probably like the biggest reason why this episode kind of pisses me off because like it's so it just it comes from nowhere. Like we have so much interesting stuff that we have already developed in this season that like they could have spent the second to last episode on, but instead they bring in this random character who we've never seen and who we will never see again. And who ultimately has no impact on like the emotional journeys of anyone in this show in a way that like a better story couldn't have also done. And it's done like really bizarrely. Cause yeah, Madeline's being pissy is like, I actually buy Madeline being pissy more so because like, Madeline is so irrational and like all over the place as a character that I'm sort of just like, anytime she does something, I'm like, okay, I guess that tracks because literally anything tracks Fiona and Fiona's reaction, like really irritates me. And we'll get into that as they, the show explores Fiona's irritation, but like, it's just, it's so frustrating to me that like a woman even looks at Michael and Fiona flies off the fucking handle, even when like there is obviously no person like actual threat perceived or otherwise. No, and yeah, the fact that like they aren't together and she yeah. has been dating people and it's fine when she dates people and like has them bring Michael yogurt drinks and all that sort of stuff. But if Michael had a relationship before she even met her, he even met her like God for fucking bid. But we'll get to that. So anyway, so they're they're having like an uncomfortable conversation in the loft. And then outside, Samantha and Michael are doing that longing look over sad piano music thing. Um, and then Michael says that he's surprised she ever wanted to see him again, indicating that there's history here and not all of it is good. Um, and she reveals that like basically she has no choice. Uh, she's the client of the week. And so we cut to them at a restaurant with Fiona and Sam as she explains her case. I guess they've just left Madeline at the loft, which we have previously established is like the least safe place in all of Miami, but okay. Um, and uh, Samantha tells us what's up. So there's this dude named Tyler Brennan. He has a black, (laughs) I have black office trainer, which is not correct. He's a black ops trader who used to work in military intelligence. Brennan is a quote, evil son of a bitch, which is helpfully transcribed in his lower third. And last month, uh, he came to Samantha, who is revealed to be a high class thief with a job. He wants her to rob this place called AFC Industries, a defense contractor in Miami. She has already stole the thingy, but then she had to get it. But in order to steal the thingy in the amount of time that this, you know, 
evil son of a bitch gave her. She had to get a job at said AFC Industries to get it. And as soon as the thingy is discovered missing, she will be on the hook because she had to like use her um, employee ID. And Michael's like, that's kind of sloppy. And you're such a high class thief. Like, what's up? And she's like, well, I didn't really have time to like develop a better strategy because he kidnapped my son. And so, of course, this plot immediately goes to does Michael Weston have a secret son? Um, the camera and- move when she says this <laughs> just like is th- that's wild. the first one that I know. It's so wild. It's that's it's the one time that I'm like wild. It's amazing. It is like I'm so irritated. The camera move yeah, is it fine. Turns- it was a it was a funny choice for the absolute absurdity of this moment, but like. I hate this fucking plot line. And not just in Burn Notice. Like, this has been done in a lot of shows where it's like, wait, how old is your son? And so, all right, so we have established a timeline that Samantha and Michael broke up about nine years ago. (laughs) She does tell him that the son is nine years old, but she rushes to sort of clarify, like, he's not yours. Yes, he was born almost immediately after we broke up, but he's not yours. Um, And, uh, like... That it that turns out to be true, um, and he actually turns out to be much younger than nine. Um, but you know, I'm glad that we established that he is not Michael Weston Weston's son early because that would be too morally complicated for this show and for its central couple. And we can't have that now, can we? I mean, we can't. I I never want like because there's a bit later in the episode where Michael's like. You kind of led me to think that maybe it was my son. And I was like, did she? Because I feel yeah, like and none <laughs> of the episode not. is really interested in that. Like, But it's, it's brought up twice, beat, so the episode thinks that it is. Like, I feel like the episode is fundamentally uninterested in her having a son. I don't know why she needs to have a son. It doesn't matter. None of, it doesn't matter that they're ex-fiancés. It doesn't matter who this fucking woman is at all. Like, it, this is one of those episodes where, like, they've sort of similar to um, Larry Sizemore uh, and his sort of shit. is like sometimes this show likes to give us characters with this, like, insane backstory of connections to Michael and then, like have none of it actually resonate because like the Larry Sizemore plot was about like how Michael actually might be you know the guy that his burn notice file indicates that he is because sometimes Michael Weston does make like morally great decisions but like based on the show that we've seen that does not make any sense at all and if you've spent even two seconds with Michael Weston you're like oh that's not him that doesn't make any sense and similarly here it's like I don't know what this woman is trying to accomplish it's just so clumsy and there's so much like expected emotional baggage without any actual emotional resonance. And it's just fucking lazy. No, I agree. It didn't bug me as much as it bugs you, but I do agree. Yeah. So anyway, so she has a son and that's and he has been kidnapped and that's why um, she she stole this thing so sloppily. It does not at any point matter what this thing is, so I'm going to refer to it as the thingy for the rest of the episode. The thingy that she stole. Um, it's, it's like yeah, a it targeting it's a card or something. It literally doesn't matter. It's some high-tech bullshit thingy. But it's a high-tech bull- bullshit thingy that it would be very bad if it like was in the Fell hands the of non-Americans. Hands. Frankly, yeah. it would be yeah, very bad if it was in the hands of Americans, <laughs> but that's neither here nor there. 
But <laughs> but Michael Weston is a patriot, and he would never think that. Yes. Anyways, so naturally, Samantha doesn't want this psychotic guy to have this fancy thingy, but she also wants to make sure that her non-Michael Weston spawn uh, lives through the night, so she asks for Michael's help. Feels kind of late to, to call in Michael's help uh, since she's been in Miami, I guess, for at least a month at this point with a kidnapped son, but Okay. They head to an outdoor amphitheater where the exchange is allegedly happening. Uh, they send Sam to guard other Sam. And then Fiona and Michael head off to get, um, you know, some, I, I, I say get in a position, but then it turns out that the thing isn't happening until the next day. So I guess they just like leave together and uh, they have to talk about Michael's other woman. And this is where we learn that he knew Samantha before he knew Fee and then things didn't work out. And of course, Fee is mad. She never told her. He never told her. But honestly, I'd make I'd maybe be vaguely irritated because like that is kind of a big thing not to tell a person who you've been like intimate with on multiple occasions. Um, but it's not like this affects their relationship at all. From what I can tell, these two never talk about their lives or their pasts when it's not immediately plot relevant. So I cannot imagine when this would have come up that he used to be engaged. But there's a lady who has emotional attachment to Michael and vice versa. So of course, Fee is contractually obligated to be pissy and jealous. Yeah, no, this all tracks. I disagree with none of this. <laughs> Um, in the words of some more news, I agree with you completely. So, yeah. So th this is just like the thing that Fee does when they like want her to. But I don't yeah. feel like the way that they have set up Fiona's character, like that she would be this kind of jealous. Like they just, I mean, it's she, like she they've just always becomes, written like, her as jealous. But like the way that she acts about these, like she's acting like Madeline. True. And that doesn't make sense. Like, I feel like she would do something more fun than just, like, be snippy and pissy that, like, another woman held the love of her life in her his her arms or some bullshit like that. I don't know. It's irritating. Um, anyways, so, so Michael is also irritated and goes to a bar to pout and hide from his mom and Fiona. And Sam brings some good news to cheer him up. He's got some intel on Victor, a former black sop guy who was, like Michael, burnt by Carla and turned into an asset five years ago. New, with this new information, Michael thinks that he can work uh, this solidarity angle to get some answers from Victor. Uh, that's the end of that scene. It was just like, a, hey, we found Victor. That night, yeah. I guess, the hostage exchange is the next morning. Michael heads home to find a flat-haired Madeline, which I thought was a very good detail, smoking in the dark. Because we've never really this seen Madeline. This shot is also <laughs> very good. <laughs> she's just like, she's in the dark and like the lighting's real kind of moody. And, and she's like sitting on the stairs, right? The stairs that lead yeah. up to the second level. And he walks in and I think Michael's lit, but she's like just kind of silhouetted. And she's just smoking. And... <laughs> Again, really good. Good job. On, what was the name of the director of this episode? Uh, What was her name? Denny. Denny Gordon. Good job, Denny. I'm glad that you direct multiple episodes of this show. Yeah, no, the directing was definitely on point. And I also really like the choice to, like, <laughs> flatten Madeline's hair. Because usually Madeline's hair is, like, that standard 60-year-old bleach blonde hair lady with, like, it's, like, spiked up and, like, moosed out and stuff like that. But, you know, it's it's nighttime. She's going to bed. And so it's, like, really flat. And it makes her look really vulnerable. Because, like, she's physically smaller because her hair is smaller. And it's, like, I don't know. It's just, like, it was this I... nice moment where I was, like, I'm seeing Madeline in, like, her at her most vulnerable. And even though I feel like this whole plot is contrived and bullshit, I really like the, the way that this scene is making me feel simply by, like, having her hair flat and, like, not moosed up. 
I like the idea of like um, Madeline is sort of like a bird who raises her feathers to ward off predators. <laughs> I mean, doesn't but, she? No, I agree. Yeah, that's it was a nice touch. Yeah, I thought, it was, like, every once in a while, this show has, like, such amazing attention to detail. Like, the in season one, when we when we noticed that the um, the club downstairs was flashing lights into Michael's window when he was, like, working on stuff. Like, every once in a while, this show does something so clever and interesting. But, like, it doesn't feel like it can ever connect them in a way that, like, is meaningful for more than a moment or two at a time. And it's like, it's I know there are talented people working show... on this show. <laughs> Sometimes this show has a good director. I guess that's it. I wish it had a good writer. Anyways. Um, Where was I? Oh, okay. So Madeline's smoking in the dark. So Madeline is also mad that Michael never told her about Samantha and is also worried that she might have a grandchild out there. Um, Because so this is the the, it's it's mentioned three times that this child... (laughs) who is not Michael's, might be Michael's. The first time is when he is discovered to have, this woman is discovered to have a child and she assures Michael that he is, he is not her child or no, he is not his child. Pronouns are hard. Um, Gender is a construct. Uh, Then this is the second time that it's brought up that Madeline's like, is it your child? And Michael's like, no, it's not my child. And then the third time is after they rescue the kid and Michael's like, he's too young to be my child. And she's like, I mean, I did tell you that. And he's like, yeah, but you like made me believe that it might be my child. And it's like no one at any point ever misled you at all. She changed no. the, his age for some reason. But like everyone has been telling the truth the whole time. And I don't understand why we've talked about this for three times. No, it's dumb. It's so dumb. Um, then Victor. So while Michael and Madeline are having this conversation, Victor calls Michael from a nightclub so that they can set up a time to meet, but the location is going to be a surprise. So I guess that just means that Victor is going to show up at some point, which is fun and kind of scary. And here's the thing. So Victor, I find boring and like kind of a nothing man because we really didn't get to know him at all, except for him being kind of like the slightly more unhinged version of Jason Bly, but who works for Carla instead of the actual government. Um, But, like, I do always appreciate that Victor's sort of unhinged dangerousness could appear at any moment. Because isn't he also the guy who um, blew up Michael's spot when he was on a job once? And I like that because, like, it's I like that Victor forces Michael's, like, CIA black ops plot points to, like, come into his week-to-week, case-of-the-week stuff. Like, I like that he bleeds the lines between Michael's two lives, and I think that that causes a lot of interesting tension. And so despite the fact that I don't think Victor is very interesting, like, as a character, what they are able to do with him, I really appreciate. I agree with that, too. Yeah. It is telling that multiple times that they've had Victor, like, he has done this. And they have yeah, used and it's fun. And then it's yeah. like, because this is, he's one of those characters that they manage to do a good job with like ratcheting up the stakes with, because like you, you really don't know what Victor's going to do at any given moment. And that, that kind of unpredictability is really fun in a show that like is predicated on like really rigid structure and, you know, inherently predictability. So I think that he's a good touch. I just wish they'd done a little more work on him and maybe had him not just be another white guy, you know? Because he's yeah, he's so indistinguishable from like everyone else in this show, and it's it's a shame because he the character and the way that they use him has a lot of of potential. Anyways, 
The next day, everyone's got their places at the meet. Sam is Samantha's bodyguard. Fiona is keeping an eye out. And then Michael is on deck nearby to tackle Brennan once um, the kid is reclaimed. Fiona makes a rude comment about Samantha because no women can be friends unless they aren't in sexual competition with one another, which is, I guess, why Fee loves old women. Um, and then in the actual, like, exchange, Brennan is mad that Samantha brought someone with her, even though he expressly told her, come alone. And then Sam introduces himself as Chuck. Hell yeah. Unfortunately, while the kid is reunited with his mom, he's wearing a cast on his arm. And it's not because the bad guy broke his arm. It's because they needed a covert way to hide a bomb on him. So if Brennan doesn't leave the park unmolested, they can blow him the fuck up. Which is honestly, like, a really good idea and super it is hardcore. Brennan comes out fucking swinging. And honestly, like, I, Brennan is one of the high points of this episode for me. because like, I agree. I, I think, for me, the reason that I like this episode is I like Brennan more than the Sam stuff annoys me. Yeah, no, definitely. Sam Sam and, is nothing, but Brennan is great. He is a really yeah. good villain. And I, I do like the actress playing Sam, though. Yeah, that's true. She's fine. The problem is, is that, like, they gave her, like, the weakest sauce of nonsense to, like, play off of. Yeah. But I do think, like, she's having fun. I think she's having fun doing this. Yeah. And I think they get a little bit of mileage. It's always fun to pair Michael with someone that he likes that is a bit more morally dubious than him. Yeah. Well, I mean, this is literally like a near carbon copy of the setup of the Lucy Lawless episode. It's near the end of season two. So it's near the end of the season. It's with a very attractive, strong-willed woman who has a child. Uh, that Michael feels paternal over for one reason or another. Um, and, like, he has to help her in some way, like, rescue her child. And even though the Lucy Lawless episode turned out to be, like, a different thing, like, both it's of the these women stuff. are on... Are, yeah, it's the exact same plot, because the purpose of both of those episodes is to reinforce that Fiona and Michael are, you know, going to be together forever. And these women, though, you know, they have moxie and sexiness, are never going to stack up to Fiona. Who has more moxie and more sexiness. <laughs> I mean, not compared to Lucy Lawless. No offense at all. Ma um, that's just like an extremely high bar. Fee has anyway. maximum mox. <laughs> maximum. She's got maximum. Anyways, so uh, Brennan has like bom bombed this kid up. Um, so Michael is called off because, of course, he can't tackle Brennan for fear that the kid is going to get bombed. And I really like the way that plays out, too, because Michael doesn't know anything about the bomb. Yeah, so Michael, like, is is off somewhere. Like, so he's not watching this go down. He's, like, stationed near one of the exits so that he can catch Brennan on his way out. And Fiona is the one doing the lookout to, like, let Michael know when it's time to tackle. Yeah, and also, I don't think, and Fee can't hear the conversation either. Only... Mm -mm. Yeah, only Sam can. So there's this nice dynamic of, like, imperfect communication where all Sam can do is give a kind of cut-it-out abort sign, and Fee doesn't know why. And then she has to get Michael to stop. But Michael, she can't explain to him why he has to stop. And so and so it's harder. I, I, I like that. Yeah, no, it's good. It's, it's, it's a nice little kind of scene where... 
these you know our three heroes just have to like trust each other and there's a lot of that in the next couple like couple of episodes i really do like where we're at with the team with the squad where it's pretty much just you have to take each other at your word and you have to just like drop everything whatever one of them says you have to believe them you have to you know move on with this new information and i really like that i like a well-oiled yeah. team so after this all happens michael drives samantha and this kid who i don't think speaks ever um back to the loft and is like we can't just let it end this way you are going to be on the run forever if we just let brennan take this chip and give it to bad guys who are not americans and he also this is the moment where he for the third time um mentions the kid and his potential paternity and he's like you you let me assume that it might be mine by telling me he was nine but this kid is clearly not nine he's much younger and she's like well wouldn't you do the same wouldn't you also fudge the truth for someone you cared about and i don't know what the point of this interaction is i yeah i don't know either it's just there but he's definitely not michael's i'm glad we cleared that up even though that's what we've been saying from the beginning yeah and i and they get it out of the way early like i don't know i will why give them that doing this but thing I, yeah but like we get it done and then it's over with yeah, that's true. At least it's over now. And it is over. We don't mention the kid, like, ever again. Um, and thank God, the one thing that I was so worried about, like, at the end of the episode when everything is fine, I was so worried that when she, like, got reunited with her son, he was going to have some fucking drawing of Michael Weston rescuing him. And I'm like, I cannot take another child who has met Michael Weston for two seconds and falls in love with him. I can't do it. Thankfully, they don't do that. But, like, I, there's I've been a watching this show for happened. two seasons, and I'm at best lukewarm. <laughs> Yeah, but you don't have the innocence of a child anymore, Chris. You're so old. This is true. I've known you too long for that. (laughs) Anyways, so the gang groups up to discuss next steps. Fee is super fired up because she doesn't like it when kids are messed with because she is woman. And uh, then we cut to Brennan's house where his alarm has been disabled and he discovers Fee and Michael playing pool all casual like in a different part of his apartment. Brennan diagnoses the intrusion correctly that they want to make a point and impress him that they can just like get into his apartment whenever they want. But he is also a kind of a cool criminal cat and is unfazed. And because Brennan knows the playbook, Michael decides to drop the games and just be straight with him, even introducing himself and Fee by their actual names. Um, so basically, this is another thing that I thought was very smart. Yeah. Like there's no alias, but it's kind of like his actual identity is his alias this episode. Exactly. Um, And like they even, I do. Yeah. A lot of the fee and Sam stuff is stupid, but I do like the idea that Michael's like, can you pretend to be jealous? Oh yeah. That's, I guess that's, that's the one important part from the last scene where the gang is like, how are we going to get this thingy away from Brennan? And, um, Fiona makes some comment about Samantha and, uh, some, I think Sam is like, what are you jealous fee? And she's like, no. And then Michael's like, could you be? And so the, basically the story that they're telling Brennan is that, uh, Samantha is planning to steal the thingy back from him and has asked Michael for help. But Fiona, his new love, is crazy jealous and they don't trust Samantha. So they are offering their services to Brennan instead to protect the item for a price. They also claim that Samantha held back a piece of the thingy so that it'll be worthless and it'll give her more time to steal it back. And Michael is like, oh, but don't worry. Like, if you don't believe us, uh, I can arrange some kind of test 
to prove to you that there's a thing missing from it, which like is immediately suspicious. And thank God Brendan is actually like a legitimately good antagonist because he also picks up on this. So Brendan following the trend of villains in season two, who have also seen burn notice is like, nah, that sounds fake. You just want to steal it from me yourself. And Michael's like, Oh no, no, no here. Here is our full names and resumes. Look us up. And I do um, love the idea. Like you said, the alias, I love the idea of Fee and Michael playing Fee and Michael. <laughs> it and is really fun, especially because he's using his like burn notice file to his advantage because like he is he is he is the Michael Weston that everyone fears him to be as an alias and that's kind of fun. Exactly. And like they do modulate their performances slightly. And it is yeah, kind of bit. fun to watch them play themselves. It's, it's very Orphan Black. Yes. The clone playing the other clone, pretending to be the other clone kind of thing. Uh, okay, so the next we have a quick catch-up scene with Fee and Samantha before Michael's ride to Carla picks him up. Carla is convinced of Michael's story finally and uh, is like, yep, you're right. It does sound like Victor is our crazy guy and agrees to call off her goon squad to see if Victor will approach Michael. And if Michael can bag Victor... Carla will consider giving Michael his life back. She will consider like unburning him and like letting him back to the, you know, the sweet, sweet arms of the CIA. Yeah. Now we head back to Brennan's house who has also decided to trust Michael and has also decided to get his thingy tested, but he has made his own arrangements, smart, and wants Michael and Fee to be in his sight line as he does. Doctors say that it's very helpful to occasionally get your thingy tested. <laughs> and I know it's awkward. I know it's awkward. But your health is worth it. It's true. You can also, if need be, there's lots of, like, tutorials online where you can, to show you how to test your own thingy if you don't feel comfortable. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and so that you you know what lumps are, like, normal and what lumps are potentially problematic. Yes. Um, But, yeah, so this was great because he was, Brennan was like, so I looked you up and you do seem like straight up psychos. Love it. But... I don't trust you quite enough to, like, just let you take my thingy in your own hands. So I'm going to I'm gonna have my own specialist check it out. That does and I want you guys to come with me. A large amount of trust. <laughs> so he confiscates their cell phones, and then they all take a field trip to an airplane hangar. Apparently, the thingy is being flown around in the air 23 hours a day to keep it safe and away from thieves, which is a great detail. I really enjoy that. Yeah, I like that, that too. Like, it also seems like something that they could easily have, like, fucked with. Like, maybe I'm imagining this great scene where, like, Michael and Fee, or even just Fee, because she's small, like, stows away on the airplane for the one hour a day that it's, like, refueling or whatever. And then, like, steals it and, like, beats up the guys in the air and, like, bails out with the thing in midair. And, like, that would have been really cool. I'm just saying. That would have been really cool. But could not have been an awesome scene. I don't know. In the next episode, they have like four different, like ex- insanely expensive cars that they do a bunch of shots in. So I think they have well, more yeah, budget than they. Because that they was do. the finale. Ugh. This is a ra- a random O'Neill and Tracy out. <laughs> Anyways, so they're at the airplane hangar, and as the testing commences, Fee alerts Michael that they have a visitor. It's Victor once again showing off his terrible timing, standing behind a fence like near the airplane hangar and wearing a bright pink shirt. Uh, it's Brennan, a great a, shirt. 
It's a really good shirt. Honestly, Victor's fashion is one of my favorite things about him. Um, and then Brennan, a smart criminal, does not notice that this man is just parked right next to his very secure airplane hangar, like staring at them with the binoculars. But fine. No one but Fiona notices. Anyways, the thingy is all good. And Brennan's like, ha, I knew you were lying. Nothing is missing from this. And Michael's like, well, I guess she must have lied to me. But also, look at that man in the pink shirt. Don't shoot us. Shoot him. He's with uh, Samantha. Yeah, that's what it is. He's with Samantha. So all the crime guys shoot at Victor, who shoots back and drives off looking miffed. Um, and that's the other thing I like about Victor is that anytime something inconveniences him or like, like something violent happens in his like general vicinity, he's just like, you serious? Like rude. Like he just, yeah, he, he seems just like so, <laughs> he's just, he's so low key about it. And I really appreciate that. Victor I like it when people react is to dramatic a great things improviser. really dramatically. Victor always yes ands. <laughs> but in like a really fun and delightful way. Uh, yes. And so after Victor drives off looking miffed, Brennan still doesn't believe Michael and Fiona, which he absolutely shouldn't. But then in the next scene over pool where Fiona is mysteriously somewhere else, Brennan hires Michael to lock down the airplane hangar for the deal so that Samantha doesn't try to uh, come back and take the thing. And he's given Michael 5% of the take, no less. So he doesn't quite believe them, but he's like, all right, well, if you want to, you know, lock down my airplane hangar, you know, go ahead. So then yeah. Michael and the girls circle back up at the loft to discuss their heist while Madeline in a fantastic comedy cut sits nearby and like leans backwards around a, um, an object in between her and them talking about this to like observe her almost daughter-in-law. She just like leans back smoking, like from behind a fan or something to watch them as they talk. And it's such a funny cut. It's so funny. I love when Madeline smokes and stares at people. Yes. And then, good. <laughs> The other two women continue to kind of snipe at each other uh, and about like who Michael loves more and shares more with, because again, women in potential sexual competition cannot be friends. Even when, you know, national security and World War III is at stake. Victor then calls and is mad that Michael had people shoot at him, which valid, uh, but he gets over pretty quick because Michael explains, oh, no, 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 it, it was nothing personal. It was for one of my covers. So then is Michael that goes back. Victor once again does his <laughs> I'm having fun dance. <laughs> something like that yeah he like he he's so happy about spycraft that he's like giggly <laughs> he just loves that he got to help michael keep his cover um yeah just two boys boys being boys so uh michael has gone outside of the loft to take this call so michael goes back inside fee has left and madeline is asking to take samantha to lunch after this all blows over for some reason. And then while Samantha avoids answering this very bizarre proposition, it's revealed that Samantha actually proposed to Michael because, oh, thank God, what if Michael had initiated a serious relationship with a woman in his past who wasn't Fiona? What would we have done? I'm so tired. I wish this was Outlander or that I was rewatching Bad Breaks. I'm so tired, Although, Chris. I'm so tired. To be fair, it's not like, can you imagine Michael Weston proposing to someone? I can't although i have a feeling we're going to see it eventually in the show but like it seems like it's the problem is is that i know what they're fucking doing they're bringing this up because they don't want michael weston to have ever like initiated a serious relationship outside of fiona I, for some reason i yes but i also just legitimately cannot imagine him proposing 
in But general. I think that that's a, that's a failure rather than like a reasonable excuse to get out of this. I honestly think that it would be more interesting and I would be mo- more emotionally invested both in Samantha and in Fiona if Michael Weston had like actual relationships before this. Like if he had one like really emotionally connected relationship in his past that, you know, didn't work out for however many reasons they want to give it. Um, and that he, you know, has maintained a relationship with Fiona as well. That's more interesting than to, than to me. Like it's more interesting than Michael Weston being this like emotionally stunted bathroom sign who like wasn't a real boy until Fiona touched him for the first time. Like that's not as interesting or nuanced. And it's frankly kind of boring. It's just, it's so simple and uncomplicated. And in a show that likes to think that like relationships and like Michael's life is so complicated, but it's like, but they don't want to have to deal with the emotional fallout of Michael Weston potentially loving two different women. Yeah, this is true. And I think that it's more interesting when people have to have like realistic conversations with one another about how like, you know, they've been in love before and like they've had serious relationships that mattered a lot to them before the, the, you know, their primary partner. And that's fine. And that's a thing that you have to live with as a human being. But the show doesn't know how to have nuanced conversations about the intricacies of intimate relationships. There's no ability. No one on the writing staff can do this. No, it's, and it's so, it's, ugh. But it could have been interesting. I mean, I don't care. I will say, like, I, because I don't give a shit about Michael's love life at all. (laughs) I mean, that's fair. I don't super either. And so, like, whenever it does this, I'm just, like, yeah, yeah, you don't know how to write conflicts about women. We know. It's just, whatever. Do the thing you feel like you gotta do. These are the wanted men writers. Like, that was one of my favorite Fiona episodes because she's so wacky and goofy. That's, yeah. I mean, I like these writers. There's very few episodes that they've written that I've not, like, at least liked. And I, mm-hmm. I on balance, like this episode. Uh, even though I don't disagree with anything that you're saying. And, like, <laughs> I definitely noticed it, too, and was annoyed in that this show can't write women. This show cannot write women getting along unless, as you point out, they're Fee and Madeline because there's no competition there. But yeah, this, for some reason, I mean, I not for some reason. I know the reason. For some reason, this show can, just cannot do that or conceive of it. It's just, it's so frustrating that a show that has so many talented people working on it and so much potential always chooses the most boring version of events. It does yes. not have to be this way, Burn Notice. If you you could have had it all, and you almost did, and then you didn't. Anyways, now there's this a could have montage. been Lucy Lawless. It could have been Lucy Lawless. It could have just they just put it just put uh, what's his face that wrote bad breaks in charge of every episode. I don't know. You had so many choices. Just just ugh ah. It's what the wor- the most frustrating part about Burn Notice is how close it is to being good. <laughs> I see. I think like, that's the thing is that I think it was close to being good. It was never close to being good at this part of it. No, this part of it true. was always bad, and like that's not even fair. The, there's so much more work that this show would have to do to be good at Michael and Fee. Like, that's even more work than the show has to do to be good at like Michael and Madeline. Because it's, yeah, it's true. actually invested in Michael and Matt. Like, 
That's true. And Michael and Madeline have had some of the, like, best emotional scenes of this series. Like, all of the Fee and Michael emotional scenes are, like, when he's doing a weird born-again Christian rant into a phone and staring intensely at her. But him and Madeline will have, like, really interesting conversations about, like, navigating their relationship and being more transparent with one another now that they're, like, around each other frequently for the first time since he was a kid. Yeah, I... Everything about Michael and Fee is written with a sense of it's an obligation. Yeah, exactly. No one's That's having fun it. doing it. No one's super <laughs> interested in it. But they feel yeah. like this sort of show time has to together. have that. Yeah. And so I guess for me, when watching this show, I really just... don't expect it to be good at that. I know. The problem is that, like, I've been watching, like, genuinely good romance shows recently, or, like, shows with good romance in them, and I've been spoiled. I've been spoiled rotten. Um, yeah, you have. We have to move on. <laughs> so, speaking of Ma- Michael and Fee, we get a short montage of Michael and Fee shoring up that airplane hangar of Brennan's uh, with defenses that ends with them leaving and Sam and Samantha emerging from the truck that Michael and Fee had driven in on. Because instead of having them break in, risking Michael and Fee's cover, they just brought the two Sams into the place as they fortified it and, like, fortified it around them, which is clever. Unfortunately, yeah, no, I agree. I, I like that. Unfortunately, Brennan is cleverer because the day of the deal comes and instead of having the buyer's plane fly into the hangar that Sam and Samantha are waiting in, he closes the doors to that and leaves leads Michael and Fiona away. Uh, Sam and Samantha have to scramble for a plan B and plan B turns out to be Sam hiding behind a nearby tractor that's just there for some reason and shooting one of the bags of money being brought to this open air deal by the buyer and then Samantha driving by and staring Brennan down while Michael yells at him. Um, that he locked down the hangar, not the airport. So, of course, this happened. So that's how they don't, like, let the deal go down. Um, and now that this has happened, Brennan's, like, fucked. Brennan can't sell the chip. and Or certainly not sell it before the U.S. government knows what's up. And if the U.S. government knows what's up, he's extremely fucked. So he's like, I don't know what kind of game you're playing, but I think I have to put the thing back. And Michael's like, yep, you do. And it basically doesn't matter if Brennan believes that Michael was on his side or not, because at the end of the day, Michael has to go put the chip back where it was found. So I actually really like that because it does make this kind of like this weird, like complicated moment where it's like, you might have been telling the truth the entire time, but it ultimately doesn't matter. Yeah, no, I agree. I like that a lot. I think that's really cool. And I think that it's cool that Brennan, like outsmarted Michael to the extent that he actually screwed himself over. Like he was too competent in in that it made him, he was so paranoid that for a long time he was on the up and up, but then he like out paranoided himself and ended up putting himself in a really vulnerable position. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh Yeah. I just like, I like the way that Brennan is used in this, in this episode because like he is a legitimate, you know, uh, adversary, an actual challenge. But also, like, the fact that he is so challenging is what ultimately takes him down. I think that's a fun twist. Yeah, no, I agree. So now it's time to turn this episode into a anti-heist episode where uh, Samantha and Michael um, go break back into AFC to put the thing back. At one point, while they're, like, biding time trying to put together the things they need to break into the secure area again, like a handprint and stuff like that, they're just, like, hanging out in the break room, and Michael 
to kill time, I guess, like reaches into the fridge and finds a yogurt and has a look of such like robotic delight that of course it's going it's to be so good. the promo if it's going to be the promo image for this episode of course but it's also like i don't know if jeffrey donovan has ever smiled before because it's so like forced but also he like you can see in his eyes that he's delighted but the actual act of the smile looks so unnatural yeah it's the way that he smiled like the thing is you can tell that it's a real smile, <laughs> but you also can tell that it's not a human smile. <laughs> it's like an uncanny valley smile. Like he's he's genuinely like pleased. So he's so pleased that there's a yogurt because like Michael Weston can only eat yogurts. I what does Jeffrey Donovan look like when he's happy? I don't know. Has he it ever can't been be happy? that. I hope so. But yeah, what else could it be? I don't know. It's I such a great know. shot. Like, it's, a, it's a really funny shot. It's so funny. Because, yeah, it's that the way that he is in the frame really sells it. Like, it's you you can see <laughs> it's, on the promo. It's a pure comedy shot. And it absolutely makes sense that this director has uh, directed, like, The Office and 30 Rock and things like that. Like, this is this is clearly a comedy director. Yeah. But also, I think other stuff that isn't. Like, I think all the action stuff is just handled. Like, Oh, no. She does a great job at the acting stuff. But it's like, yeah. you can tell when it's like a director who's like just competent at the technical stuff. And when it's a director who is competent at like comedy framing and timing. Yeah. Like, this, this director is specifically someone who like cuts her teeth with comedy. And it shows. And I love it. Anyway, so Michael gets his yogurt, and then the other man in the office who is not paying attention to them throws away his diet Mountain Dew, and um, they fish it out of the trash can to get his handprint, because he has the handprint that will get them into the next room. But I was thinking about it, and have you ever held a can of soda with a perfect full hand because like the when they peel the like sticky paper away to reveal the handprint that they've lifted it's like a perfect flat handprint and i've been trying to hold a soda all day and i have i cannot imagine a scenario where my hand would look like that on a soda can like i usually hold it with like two fingers at the very top like you at most would lift like an individual fingerprint or two i do not believe that a human being holds cans like this Okay, hold on. I've got a can right here. Uh, I don't know. My whole hand is around this can. All right. Really? Let's get some full, so you understand the can here. So you can tell that I have an actual can, and I am not bullshitting. (laughs) Some great Foley work, Chris. Thank you. I mean, if I will say, if anything, the bits of my hand that are touching the can the least are my fingertips. I yeah. Hold on. Wait. It's possible that I'm thinking overthinking this. <laughs> I'm gonna put it down, and I'm I'm gonna pick it up again. But um, here, give me. I wanted this to be natural, so give me some sort sure. of conversation. Pretend we're at a party, so I can just like <laughs> grab it naturally. Like sure. So, all right. So we're at a party. Um, like we're talking about stuff. Hey, how you doing? I'm all right. I just learned that there's another burn notice podcast out in the world and i'm kind of bummed about it to be honest oh do you do a burn notice podcast uh i do it's called burn noticed uh with a huh, d that's um, clever 
Oh, is it just you? Is it just you that does it? Um, disappointingly, no. Uh, there is also another person there. Um, I don't actually remember his name, but I'll look it up and send it to you later. Wow, like, so you <laughs> you record you talk to him all the time for this podcast, and yet you don't know his name. I don't. I prefer to be mysterious that way. That tracks. Okay. Actually, yeah, no, I picked it up, and no, I don't use my whole hand. You're right. Exactly. Because that's an insane way to hold a can. No, yeah, I don't know what's going yeah. on there. Yeah, the The end of my notes for this section is just, I'm just saying, that dude holds cans weird. But I'm glad that it worked out for them. Because then we get to the most bizarre scene of this episode that is the only thing that I don't think is directed well, but also I don't know how else it could have happened. So they get inside this room with this handprint. And the room is like a changing room because they have to get into like a clean room jumpsuit. I cause science, I guess. But yeah. instead of instead of just putting on the clean room thing over their clothes, they have to strip down. And because they have to strip down, um, the music gets really sexy and the every shot is slow motion. So like it starts with a slow motion shot of Michael unbuckling his pants and the, and uh, then we cl- cut over to like Samantha unbuttoning her shirt and then we cut over to Michael slowly turning around to look at Samantha as she like slips off her shirt revealing her bra and then she slow motion looks at Michael with a little like giggle and like we just like watch these two adults like stare at each other and strip in slow motion and it's so weird and so manufactured and i do not understand it is weird it does feel very like their behavior feels very like high school it does even though these are two adult people who are not in a relationship and who haven't even flirted this whole like they're the thing with the lucy lawless episode is that like michael was like kind of legit flirting with her but this episode samantha shows up and he's just like nice to her because she's the client of the week but there is absolutely no sexual tension up to this exact moment and then they start taking their clothes off and they can't keep their eyes off each other while they slow motion strip and also presumably these people have seen each other naked already. No, Michael's actually a virgin. They don't mention it, but he's saving himself for marriage. And she got close. Closer than anyone else got, but not close enough. So wait. So what did Fee and Michael do? Heavy petting. Heavy petting. <laughs> and like, yeah, I emphasize heavy for a reason. Like, you know, he's not a monk, but he is a virgin. Hashtag Michael Weston is a virgin. That's what I want to get out of this. Let's yeah, let's get that trending in 2020. <laughs> oh no, all of our I listeners think... are leaving for the other burn notice podcast. <laughs> I was gonna say that's definitely something that'll differentiate. <laughs> yeah, so this is just a very weird scene. Also, I feel like they should have stayed clothed in this scene because it would have been way faster to get in and out and like. This whole situation is them trying to get in, put a thing back, and then escape. And in the context of this episode, what they have done is they do this whole heist thing, which involves setting a lot of small explosives down a hall, making a lot of noise, and then fake stealing something else after they put the thing back. Um, And then as this stuff is exploding and all these alarms are going off and people are being corralled down to the lobby so that they can, like, get a handle on it, these two motherfuckers are, like, getting dressed again and like buttoning up their shirts because like it's they're not wearing like pullovers they're wearing like button-up shirts and pants with belts and stuff 
Why aren't they still dressed? That makes way more sense. I, you know, I've I've got nothing. Exactly. They just wanted to look at each other, I guess. So anyways, they put the thing back. They steal another thing to like distract attention. Um, and then they go to the lobby where everyone's being scanned before they're allowed to leave. Michael dumps the, the other stuff that he stole into a trash can because obviously he doesn't want them and also doesn't want to be caught with them. And then makes Samantha throw away another thing that he saw her steal because haha, sticky fingers, she is a thief. Um, I also have to say, this is another part of this episode that doesn't make any sense to me. So the way that the security scan is working as they're like scanning employees as they leave the building is that they're just like waving a metal detector wand over people and then like letting them go. But A, (laughs) how do they know that whatever is stolen is metal? Because like they don't really know what's happening. Like it's kind of chaotic right now. And also... Like, Michael has metal on him. He's got a belt. He holds up a briefcase at one point, and they just scan it, and they're like, all right, you're good. They don't pat him down. Like, a high-level security consulting firm has been, like, broken into and bombed low-key, and the way that they're clearing people of, like, being involved is they wave a metal detector and are like, yeah, you're good. It's the fucking worst security company ever. Okay, Here's, here's what you need to understand. Is that it's not a metal detector, it's uh, it's a thief detector. Oh. It detects anyone who's currently thieving. And they did dump their goods in a trash can. Exactly. So technically, they were not thieving at that moment. No. See, it all makes sense. This episode's they... airtight. <sighs> uh, so Brennan and Michael have a quick call where Brennan, who apparently has had a brain wipe, is like, I'm going to figure out your angle eventually. As if it's not the literal most obvious thing in the world that Michael was absolutely working with Samantha the whole time. But anyways, Michael tells Samantha to leave town and then also lectures her about how she needs to leave her life of crime. She agrees and then says, Charlie isn't yours, but he could have been. And then Michael's all, a lot of things could have been. And then they kiss and then she leaves. So I guess there's actually four mentions of this child possibly being his, and all of them are stupid. Michael gets home to the loft to find Madeline asleep on uh, his bed, which begs the question, where has Michael been sleeping this whole time? Because presumably he's staying in the loft to keep an eye on her. Do he and his mom share a bed? He no, doesn't he's have probably, a couch. He's on the floor. Or maybe he <laughs> maybe he hangs upside down like a, like a bat. <laughs> Well, we have seen him do like upside down pull ups, so maybe he maybe he does. I think it's true. Yeah. Well, Michael needs to get a couch, is all I'm saying. And Fiona is there, I guess, keeping an eye on her and looking out into the night moodily. And then Michael gives her a speech about how he left Samantha because he fell in love with Fee and their love was the real thing. Okay, good. I'm glad that was resolved in the least interesting way possible. Then the next morning, Michael and Madeline uh, Michael and Madeline have a little chat about how Madeline absolutely was pretending to sleep the night before and heard everything. And she's like, you pick the right girl. After literally only knowing Samantha for half an hour, and I guess it's supposed to be meaningful, but no amount of slow motion stripping can stand in for an honest character moments and nuanced relationship depiction. So I don't buy any of it. Also, Michael was fitting a digital camera for a taser while he yeah, has this I'm conversation sure with his mom. Yeah, no, I mean, it definitely is because we see him use it, but... um, I wasn't 100% sure if it was a digital camera or like a 
It is, but it's also obviously a taser. And like when he goes in the next scene, he like goes through a metal detector uh, to go meet Victor and like puts his camera in the little bin as he walks through. And there's obviously two little spokes for a taser. And the guy at the security is like, here's your digital camera guy in 2008. Actually, it's 2009 at this point, isn't it? Haven't we established that? It's fucking 2009 and he's got like a chunky digital camera, like a fucking... Well, I don't think it's a digital camera. I think it's a... No, it's a digital camera. camera. It's it's a point and click because it, it has to be metal enough. Like if it was a disposable camera, then it wouldn't have all the metal parts that he could hide the taser. Yeah, that's in. right. It's definitely like a point and click camera uh, with two obvious taser spokes. But the guy's like, this tracks. Go on ahead. So the place that Michael is at this um, security input place for, uh, he's, he's meeting Victor at City Hall, which on the level makes sense because it's like, you know, two spies meeting in a public place where neither of them can bring guns. But Michael is a tricksy hobbit and can bring a taser. Um, so he goes to meet Victor in the bathroom and the conversation does not resolve peacefully. But luckily, Michael's taser comes in clutch and Michael uh, knocks Victor the fuck out. Uh, but it turns out that this is sort of Michael's plan all along because Michael reveals that under one of his socks is like a roll of gauze. And then the next shot that we get is Michael wheeling um, a sunglass clad uh, Victor out of the bathroom in a wheelchair with one of his full foot. weekend at Bernie's. Yeah, very weekend at Bernie's. And like he, he's basically put the gauze around like one of um, Victor's ankles to make him look like that's why he's in the wheelchair. And he just like wheels this unconscious man out of the bathroom. And like that I kind of liked. I liked like where he had hidden the gauze. I don't know. It just like it seemed like very coordinated and planned in like a really yeah. clever way. Uh, I enjoyed it. And um, and then it, as as he leaves the City Hall, the voiceover muses over whether or not Michael is going to trade this guy's life for his own. And then the episode's over. (laughs) No, of course he's not. Because despite what this show wants us to sometimes believe, Michael Weston is not morally gray. Not even his suits are gray. Nope. Michael has one shade of gray and it's justice. So anyway, you want to hear some spy tips? That was this week's episode. (laughs) Let's talk about some spy tips. So there actually weren't that many spy tips overall this episode, let alone ones that I thought were like genuinely practical, which I thought was interesting. They really didn't they the they really didn't rely on the voiceover much this episode just because I think there was probably so much going on in the actual scenes. So, anyways, these are the ones that I thought were on the line, but we might. End I also up not think O'Neill and Tracy aren't interested in that aspect of the show. Yeah, that 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 is a thing that I've picked up from them is that's not really like their steez. Um, yeah. Okay. Yeah, I don't like. They just want to write a fun spy show with like yeah. fun characters. They don't like. They have zero interest in like spies as a serious structure. thing. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So number one, the sight of a deal can tell you a lot about who you're doing business with. If it's private, they value control. If public, they want to get in and out anonymously. And if they found a site that gives them both, you're dealing with somebody who really knows what they're doing. As a rule. Any spy tip that ends with, this is someone who really knows what they're doing, Isn't always amazing. feels kind of eh to me. But I'll give it this one. Yeah, because like it, it is an interesting way of like evaluating where you might want to set up a meeting. Yeah. There, that's something that I will probably think about if I want to set up a meeting with someone. Like, honestly, yeah. this is good idea for like, this, this is good advice about like dating. 
is like if the if you're going on a date with someone you don't know very well and they choose a place that's like super private and like out of the way it's kind of controlling and scary versus you know so what you're saying is this episode has a lot of smart things to say about dating uh yeah i am weird right did i say anything to the contrary earlier in the recap that doesn't sound like me all right number two you wipe your mind after you do the weeds (laughs) i i wipe my mind as soon as i stop saying a sentence i do not retain any information you were truly a goldfish. <laughs> I'm worse. I'm dumber than a goldfish. Number two. Some cover IDs are about blending in. Others are about making a splash. It all depends splash. on whether it's more important to fool your target or impress them. Of course, if your target has a background in intelligence, you often can't fool or impress them. In that case, the best cover ID is none at all. Yeah, I'll give that too. Especially since mm-hmm. I like this aspect of the episode. I do too. Um, cool. Number three, from billion, uh, nope, (laughs) from private homes to financial institutions to military encampments, security consulting is a multi-billion dollar industry. And while security consultants constantly tout new materials and technology, the basic techniques haven't changed in 4,000 years. Get a better view of any danger headed your way, make your walls sturdier, and arm yourself well enough to fend off attacks. Hardening a target against attacks from outside is pretty straightforward, which is why it's usually best to attack, if you can, from the inside. This is on the line. It's on the line. The reason that I will argue for it is because of the, like, the list of things to do if you're trying to fortify a location. Yeah, but also the list of things is your walls should be strong and... You should be armed. And you should have a better view of danger hidden your way. Like, basically, it's like, I have this location. So the three things that I need to pay attention to are making sure that the walls are sturdy enough to withhold an attack, making sure I have visibility around me and as far visibility as I possibly can get, and make sure that I'm armed. Oh. Because, like, that might look different in different locations. Listen, I'm not married to this tip. If you want to axe it, that's totally fine. But that was sort of my thinking. Oh, I'll I'll give it to you. I'll I'll give it to you. I think it's okay. Yeah, I mean, this episode's definitely on thin ice, but I I'll give it that some of these are okay. Uh, okay, number four. No large security building is designed to be 100% secure. Doing business requires flexibility to deal with visitors, repairmen, contractors, etc. Getting in then requires that uh, requires using that flexibility. You have to make everybody think you're someone else's problem. No, I'm with this. I think that's a good strategy. Mm-hmm. I do too. Uh, cool. Number five. Past a certain point in a clearance facility, you stop seeing security cameras. Lowly security guards don't have the clearance to see what's on the cameras, so there's no one to monitor them. Usually, in the top security areas of a high-tech facility, it's less about monitoring and more about fortification. This is a thing that I have encountered in genre shows before that I have no idea if it's true. I mean, I think it kind of tracks that, like... For for most run of the mill security guy, it it, like for the most for most run of the mill like security hiring you do, you're probably not like amped to give those just like any random security guard like access to footage of your most sensitive materials. I mean, yes, but also you can still 
use the foot like you can still have cameras and that and cameras can be taking footage without people watching it constantly and well, then but, but later, like somebody has to be monitoring it i mean well not necessarily because then it could be a situation of hey if something goes down and then i the boss want to know what went down it would be nice to have footage of it i guess that makes sense like yeah, I because maybe they just don't want like a record just... because that well because that could all the the problem though is that if there is footage of your like top secret security area like then that means that it's possible for someone to steal that footage, and that this footage is, is probably less secure than the actual materials in the lab, so then in that case I feel like it would be smarter to just fortify it. But I mean, at the point, if that's a closed, if it's a closed security system camera system within the lab and that lab is fortified then it should theoretically be as hard to steal the footage as it is to steal anything in the lab well i mean only if that stuff is like kept in the fortified portion which is could could be but but you still need you still need a technician to like make like log the footage like you still need someone to like take the like put a new tape in if it's a closed system, because you can't just use cloud storage, like you need some kind of physical storage to store all that material. Because especially if someone's not monitoring it, then you probably aren't just like deleting, like recording over footage. You probably are keeping it for archive purposes. And then when you do decide, oh, I need to look back two weeks ago to see if like that person actually did steal my shit. Like that has to be stored somewhere. And if you're not using cloud storage, that has to be stored physically. And if it's stored physically, that means there needs to be a technician working on it. I mean, I think you can, like, set it up. Like, it can be set up before anyone does any business in there. And then, I don't It just seems like it would be so not hard to have cameras in there anyway. So basically, your problem with this tip is that you don't believe it. Yeah. The problem with this tip, and I've again, I've heard it in lots of other places. (laughs) And I've always doubted its truth. And if it's true, then it's useful. I don't know if it's true. But do, do you believe it? that it's true? I mean, it tracked for me. Okay, then it can stay. All right, well, it, then we've officially hit five. But uh, just to, to really send us home, spy tip number six. In a high security situation, most people try to create the smallest disturbance they can. The thing is, high security is built to deal with small disturbances. Trip one sensor and you're toast. Trip a hundred sensors, though, and nobody knows what to do. This is sort of the same tip as the one about the phones. But I like this one better because the one about the phones was predicated on the assumption that you can just, like, build a piece of software to call every phone in a building all at once. And also, this is about tripping a lot of different security measures rather than just call a bunch of phones. I agree. This is a better version of that tip. Cool. Well, then I guess we'll allow it. And that leads us to our third section of the episode, rating it. So there were at least five practical spy tips in the episode. So that has been fulfilled. Was the weekly problem solved by spycraft over violence? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, there was lots of spycraft. There was spycraft in that Michael was playing his own alias. Exactly, which... (laughs) Do you think this is a good alias? I mean, 
I think that it was used interestingly, and I enjoyed that. But I do not think that this episode counts as debuting or revisiting a distinct alias. I think if Michael had been playing, like, bad boy Michael Weston more often, then maybe I'd give it to him for, like, revisiting this alias. Which I actually think is kind of a missed opportunity, especially in context of, like, the Larry Sizemore episode, where we were supposed to believe that, like, Larry kind of does believe that Michael is what his file says he is. And I think it would have been cool if Michael leaned in more to, like, the assumption that a lot of people are making about him that he's sort of a bad boy. Like, it could be fun for him to play bad boy Michael Weston, like, to his advantage more often. And if had that been the case, I might have allowed it. But I ultimately don't think that this counts as, like, a distinct alias. I'll give yeah, I'll give you that. I think, like, I think it's a fun concept that they could have done a little bit more with. And they could have done a little bit more with prior to this episode. Because I think that this episode introduces a really cool concept, but it, it's too late in the season for it to really have an impact. No, I, I don't think... So in that case, I think, like, if the point of it was to really force Michael to confront that version of himself, then yes, it's too late to introduce that. But in, like, in a more casual, just, I'm gonna play Michael Weston way, I think it's fun. And I don't think we needed that much setup for that. Oh no, that's that's fire. I, I'm I'm more talking in context of like if if we would consider it an alias, it's too late for this to have worked that way. But uh, yeah, so it does not it does not d- debut or revisit a distinct alias, so that's a fail. But all right, so this is the deciding tenant. Were our sidekicks used well? Fee is not used well. Fee is not used well at all. Fee is used like garbage. That poor woman, she deserves better. She edged two episodes ago for, like, no reason, apparently. I'm trying to remember how Sam was used in this episode. So Sam calls himself Chuck. Not Chuck Finley, but he calls himself Chuck in the early on um, trade-off with Brennan. And then he shoots some money. Yeah, no, he's not used well in this one either. No, neither of them are. Because, like, the focus is fucking this random woman that we'll never see again. So, uh-oh. Could have been Lucy Lawless. It could have been Lucy Lawless. She added absolutely nothing. And actually, it the, the thing that they were trying some, to make Samantha be would have been more effective had it been Lucy Lawless. Because Lucy Lawless and Michael already have the history that was hinted at in that episode and have the history in the show where they're kind of like dangerously flirtatious with one another. Like it would be a much stronger choice. And I would have believed Fiona's like hackles being raised a lot more because I would have believed that relationship more. And she would have seemed like a more credible threat to Fiona because she's also kind of like a violent hot girl. She also would have been a more credible threat to Brennan. Yes, absolutely. Rather than this, like, like, because even Brennan at one point is like, you think I'm afraid of a single mom? Like, (laughs) that's a fair point, Brennan. Yeah, I mean, and they play a little bit with her moral grayness, but not like a lot. No, she's not an assassin. She's a thief. Done a lot more if it were Lucy Lawless. Yep, yep, yep. There were, however, three yogurts in this episode, so I will give it that. Um, but yeah, so we have scientifically proven that this is not a great episode of Burn Notice, but is it a great episode of television? I mean, it's not. No, it's definitely not. <laughs> this but is an episode I of television. I like it 
I liked it a fair amount more than you did. Yeah. Well, and, and that's sort of par for the course. When it's not like a knockout episode and you're the one recapping it, like you're the one that's having to like take notes on all of the weird little inconsistencies and, and yeah. it's like really hard to get into it. I was also, I guess, in a super weird mood when I was recapping this episode and I was just like not having it from the beginning. Um, but I, again, I, I think there was a lot of like fun stuff. Again, I like O'Neill and Tracy generally. I Me like too. the tone that they set for the show. And the episode had that tone. I think generally when they do an episode, everything's a little bit goofier, but also a little bit more clever. The jokes usually land better. Yeah, but that's my thing is like it it feels like an off one for them. I think just because they were given a weird concept. Yeah. Like they had to like really quickly introduce this woman who we have zero context for um, into the fray and have her be like super emotionally resonant for like eight different characters at once. But like, you know, I like I didn't like this episode on the whole, but I I agree with you that there are a lot of really smart moments. And I do think that that is where um, Tracy and O'Neill are shining through, you know, Madeline pulling a knife, Madeline's like all the little comedy cuts, which I I would give to the director. Like there there is a lot of talent in this, but ultimately like the construction of the episode could not be avoided. Like there was no way to dig themselves out of the hole that was the concept of this episode. And ultimately, that's why it falls short. Yeah, no, I'll give you that. And that's too bad. But they did the best that they could. Um, unfortunately, this is simply an episode of television and nothing more. But one that I did. I did really have a lot of fun with it. I almost texted I... you and said, "I, your episode was really good. <laughs> you know what's funny is I was going to text you that I actually sort of enjoyed the season finale. Way more uh, than I enjoyed um, season one finale. I mean... Spoilers, but I did too, but we'll get to that next week. Oh, great. All right. Well, uh, with all that said, thanks again to Vincent E.L. for our theme music. You can find more from Vincent at vincentel.bandcamp.com. And until next week, bye. I don't know. I kind of liked it. <laughs>